Welcome to Writing Black Joy Season 2. I am Sophia Robinson and I'm a writing coach and an editor and a story listener as well as the producer of Writing Black Joy, a virtual space that celebrates, centers and promotes the voices of black writers and storytellers with joyful and uplifting stories. Here, you'll find conversations with some of my favorite Black writers and storytellers, learn more about their projects and the joy they're bringing into the world, hear more about their creative process, and find inspiration for your own creative ventures, as well as tips and strategies for writing poetry, blogs, creative nonfiction, fiction, plays, and so much more from all types of writers, as well as a sneak peek into the writing life. You can even find your next favorite writer, book, poem, play, or blog. And if you are a Black writer who is looking for a coach or an editor to help you bring your joyful story into the world, then click on my website below to find out how to work with me. In the meantime, let's go to today's guest. Today's guest is Dawn Michelle Hardy, and she is the literary lobbyist. Dawn is a creative publicity strategist and a staunch advocate for self-published and traditionally published authors. She worked closely with literary agents, editors, sales and publicity representatives, and publishers to conceptualize, execute, and track marketing campaign successes. Dawn and I talked about the importance of audience building and several ways you can do that, whether you write fiction or nonfiction, even memoirs. We also talk about self-publishing versus traditional publishing and how to make that decision, as well as the importance of editing, no matter how you're publishing, how to find an agent, how to increase your chances of finding an agent, the landscape of the publishing industry for black writers and creatives, and so much more. Dawn also talked about a new initiative coming out of the Literary Lobbyists, which is a speaker's bureau that brings black writers and writers of color to speak at historically black colleges and universities so that creatives can learn more about the publishing industry and the opportunities within it. Now, this conversation is chock full of strategies and advice for writers who want to publish and put their books out into the world. And that's whether you want to have a traditional publishing contract or whether you want to self-publish. And remember, if you want to write a book and you want to work with me as a writing coach or an editor, then head over to my website. Obviously, the link is below in the show notes and take a look at my services or reach out to me on Instagram. Just go over, follow at writingblackjoy drop me a DM and I'll be happy to chat to you about it. Don't forget to hit subscribe, whether you are on YouTube, whether you're in your podcast app, and also subscribe to my newsletter and get me in your inbox. It's like getting email from an old friend. Now, on to my conversation with Don, and I hope that you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. Before we jump into this conversation, I just wanted to let you know how you can support us over here at Writing Black Joy. Firstly, you can join our Patreon community over at patreon.com slash Sophia Robinson, and you'll find the link for that in the show notes. When you sign up over at Patreon to support us, you will get the opportunity to join our monthly group coaching calls and workshops that we'll be holding exclusively for Patreon supporters. So come on over and join the party. It's so much fun over there. Other ways you can support us, hit subscribe here on your podcast or over on the YouTube channel. 
You can also leave a podcast review, like our YouTube episodes, and share us with your friends. You can head over to our website and sign up for our mailing list, www.writingblackjoy.com. Also, follow Writing Black Joy over on Instagram at Writing Black Joy. All of these will be in the show notes. Thanks so much for listening and for supporting our show. Now, let's go to our guests. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Writing Black Joy. I'm Sophia Robinson, and I'm writing coach and an editor, and I'm your host bringing you this podcast, YouTube channel. It's on all kinds of places now, folks. So podcast, YouTube, and on the website. And in case you've wandered on here, Writing Black Joy is a platform where we celebrate and center Black storytellers with joyful stories. Although today uh, I have with me somebody who has a very similar mission, and I'm so happy to bring you Don Michelle Hardy. I met Don through season one guests. I have two season one guests that I met Don through. One was Javasia. So I'll put, drop her link in the comment to her interview. And there was also Jacqueline. Jacqueline, Jacqueline Holness. Right. Mm-hmm. So there was also Jacqueline Holness, uh, who it wrote is a novelist that I also interviewed in season one. So I'm gonna drop her link in the in the show notes as well. But Dawn is here today, and Dawn is actually the literary lobbyist. So she is a creative publicity strategist and staunch advocate for self-published and traditionally published authors. She works really closely with literary agents, editors, sales and publicity representatives, and publishers to conceptualize, execute, and track marketing campaign success. For 20 years, Dawn has developed and facilitated multimedia publicity campaigns that drive sales, create fan bases, and land lucrative multi-book deals, garner book awards and industry honors that help leverage the author's success for on-screen opportunities, corporate sponsorships, and paid speaking engagements. So Dawn is the, the, the partner that you have when you are an author, you've written a book or you're, you know, almost to the end of the book and you want somebody to help you put that book out into the world, which is so important. So, so, so important. Um, I self-published a book a couple of years ago and I can tell you writing a book and putting the book out into the world are two whole different skill sets. Mm-hmm. Um, we have so many authors that have come on the show and I really wanted to bring Dawn on so we can talk a little bit about what to do next <laughs> because Sometimes that's a bit uh, a bit of a minefield. So thank you so much for joining me, Don. So happy to have you. Uh, and I'd love for you to tell us a bit about your work. Obviously, you're a publicist, you're a literary agent, you're a publishing consultant, all the things. I'd love to know, first of all, how did you even get into doing this work? Oh, my goodness, well, Sophia. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, you know, I, I'm always tickled when someone wants to interview me because I'm like, oh, I, you know, I don't have a book but I can talk to you about tons of books. No I just haven't authored any. Um, so thank you so much for having me on. Um, honestly, I'm in this publishing industry by divine destination. Like mm. I worked in fashion. I got my education in college in fashion. And when I was in the process of transitioning, trying to figure out, I don't want to do fashion anymore. A colleague had recommended me um, to be a personal assistant to author Terry Woods. She wrote True to the Game. Yes. So- and that was at that, like, you know, when urban fiction over the next few years, urban fiction, like, took over oh, wow. African-American publishing. 
So I was her assistant for two years. And during that time, I basically did everything except write the books, edit, proofread, cover concept, marketing, getting uh, street vendors the book, bookstores the book. So I did everything and I really enjoyed it. But what I enjoyed the most was the publicity and promotion. So actually helping her set up events, getting her media opportunities. That was the fun part for me. So I worked with her for two years and then I started my own PR agency and basically sent out one e-blast saying uh, the talent behind Terry Woods is now starting her own PR agency to help self-publish. At the time, it was self-published urban fiction authors because okay. those were the only authors I really knew personally. Um, yeah. and, and then it kind of took on a life of its own. And I've been in business now. 17 years independently, um, a total wow. of 19 and a half, if you include the time that I was with Terry, and 90% of my clients come from referrals. Oh, that is, that is just incredible. Yeah. I love that so much. And, you know, I think, I, I can only speak as a writer, as an author. I think for yeah. a lot of writers and authors, that the writing process is more of a natural process to us. It comes a bit more naturally, the writing, you have the ideas, that creative process. But the, the sort of the different skill set that's required to start the publicity to kind of put it out there, yeah. maybe, you know, doing some sort of negotiation, that type of thing. I think quite often we don't even know where to start with that. And so we don't necessarily make the most of the opportunities that we could have because we don't mm-hmm. even know about them. Right. Yeah. So I, I love that you are doing this work. You said you started out obviously with urban fiction, but do you work with yeah. just- any types of writers now? Is there anyone specific that you work with? Oh, yeah. Um, so over the year, you know, it, it diversified. I started with urban fiction. Um, so I've worked with Miyasha. I've interviewed Kwan. Um, I know uh, Wahida Clark, J.M. Benjamin. So like all um, Shannon Holmes. So all the like the really Danielle Santiago, all mm. the really notable, um, I would say, top 10, top 15 urban fiction authors. But then eight years into doing PR, I wanted to... Um, diversify. And I had worked with an author who, uh, her name is Sadiqa Johnson and her debut book, she self-published called Love in a Carry-On Bag. And she had actually been a publicist at Penguin Random House. Wow. Um, but she but she was self-publishing her book. So again, when you are in the author seat, even though she had PR experience, she was an author mm-hmm. and she just was like, you know what? I need to hire somebody because I don't know if I could do PR for myself in that regard. Um, mm-hmm. So her project was so successful and I compared it to like Love Jones and Mo Better Blues. And from that, I was like, you know what? I want to work more so now transition from urban fiction, which was kind of like fizzling out to contemporary women's fiction. Okay. So set in, you know, modern day things that you would see on TV now, like Harlem, Sex in the City, yeah. Run the World, those type of shows. So college educated career women, you know, having issues with family, love, finances and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Um, so I basically diversified my portfolio with that. And then I became a literary agent in 2011 um, because I wanted to do nonfiction. And I wanted to diversify, you know, work with some people that weren't necessarily people of color. Again, just to have a diversified, you know, book list. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've worked on sports biographies, which I, I'm an avid sports fan. When I'm not Ooh. doing book stuff, it's all about the ball. It's football, it's basketball. Like right. I'm very much into uh, professional sports. So I did a book on uh, Allen Iverson uh, with a writer from the Washington Post. I did a book on the New York Jets, the Seattle Seahawks. And these are teams that I, that I genuinely like to watch. And then I've done a few uh, essay collections as well. So now my list consists of poetry, essay collections, children's books, fiction, nonfiction, self-published, as wow. well as traditionally published. Yeah. 
and and several memoirs, both self-published and independently. Perfect. And yeah. um, in terms of being a literary agent, is that specifically for people who want to traditionally publish? Yes. Yes. If you okay. are looking for a literary agent, it's because you do not want to self-publish mm-hmm. and, and you want to get a book deal and have somebody else take the helms on that. Um, that's the only reason why you would need a literary agent. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I want to talk a little bit more about that later in terms of even yeah. making that choice, but I'm curious. Um, obviously, you know, this is all about writing Black Joy and I'd love to know your thoughts on um, joyful stories by Black writers, about Black characters, maybe they're, you know, fictional characters, or maybe it's even the biographies, the, yeah. the memoirs. Um, why do you think it's important to have joyful Black stories out in the world? Oh my goodness. Um, simply because like, you know, in, in humanity, we have our ups and downs, but it's not always bad. And there's definitely, I feel like in every person's life, there's definitely more happy, joyful moments than, than heartbreaking ones. And so to me, when you write a book, you're, you're leaving a legacy. That book will outlive you. Somebody yeah. will have it in a used bookstore. It, your publisher will continue to print it, but your book will outlive you. So the doom and gloom is always recorded in history. But I oh, yeah. feel like for, for the generations to come after us, they need to see our wins. They need to see our successes. They definitely need to see us in love. They definitely yes. need to see us celebrate the birth of a baby, go on vacation, win the promotion, and just living a good life because that really is indicative of the lives that we live. And I feel like if you're leaving too much of the negativity behind, what kind of level of hope are you leaving for the next generation? So to me, writing about Black joy is mandatory if, if you are a writer at some point in time because you want people to be able to read that and find hope and inspiration from that. They're not going to yes. find hope and inspiration, you know, from stories about genocide. Constantly. <laughs> like, exactly. And, yeah. You know what I mean? so, and, you I know, and, and racial divide. So it's like, yeah. okay, like, okay, can we sprinkle that in with a little bit of sunshine and sprinkles? Yeah. Because at the, at the end of the day, like that's, as you said, it's not uh, one of the guests I interviewed recently, but her interview is probably going to be after yours we were talking about um, Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie's TED Talk, The Danger of a Single Story, and like having that single story out there of like, this is what the experience is, or this is what the Black experience is, is mm-hmm. the doom and the gloom. And it doesn't really build an understanding of, of right. a group of people if the only story you've heard about them is this one thing. Right, so, it's, it's, just, it's just such a horrible thing. I mean, even working with some of my contemporary women's fiction authors like Jacqueline Holness, uh, Tia mm-hmm. Williams, Sadiqa Johnson, all of the, um, their books all have, what those three authors' books have in common, The Perfect Fine, um, Destination, Destination Wedding, Wedding. And Love in a, yeah, and mm-hmm. Love in a Carry-On Bag is they all center around a, a woman and her love relationships. Yeah. While she has career and family and other things going on, like what threads those three books together, you know, me being the publicist for all three books, is that the woman is is in pursuit of like the ultimate love. I'm a hopeless romantic. And and I love to I love to see that. I love to see when two people initially connect and there's butterflies and they're happy in love. Those type of stories make me excited. Those type of movies make me excited. So when you only see statistics you know, about women not being able to get into relationship because they've chosen career and things like that. That's not the only narrative that we should be sharing. And that's when I talk about Black joy. It's like, yes, career women may have a hard time getting into love relationships and and fertility issues and things of that nature. But then when they do, 
I feel like there's not enough recorded on, on the happiness and the celebration of when they do. So I like to work on books where the woman does find, you know, does find love in whatever yeah. form that may be, but ultimately she finds love. When I read um, Love in a Carry-On Bag by Sadiqa Johnson, mm-hmm. I finished the book at like one in the morning. And I remember texting her and saying, I'm ready to fall in love again. Have a good night. Which because after, by the time I got to the last page, that's generally how I felt. I was like, oh my gosh. Okay, I'm ready. I want to be in a relationship love that. again. Yeah, no, you know, no, I want to read that. At one o'clock but... in the morning. But somebody texts you at one o'clock in the morning, like, I'm ready to fall in love again. What are you talking about? Yeah, because after the last page of your book, I was like, oh, I want that. Yeah. You know, and, and, and oh. what it did for me, it is done for other readers. And that's why we need those Black Joy narratives. Okay, I love that. So I'm going to check out that book. I might, I might even drop the link in the, uh, in the show. Yeah, I, Love and a Carry I On Bag by Sadiqa Johnson. It was, her, it was her first book. Like I said, if you love Love Jones and Mo Better Blues, you will definitely love Love and a Carry On Bag. That, I'm going to be looking for that. That's going to be my, um, well, right now it's December we're recording this, but that's going to be one of my holidays. Listen, I, I know everybody has a TBR <laughs> to be read list that's like this time. Mine too. <laughs> so I love that. I've been asking every guest to share a quote, uh, either it could be from one of your clients or just a quote that's really meaningful to you. Um, and tell me a bit about what is, you know, what you love about this quote. Oh, you know what? I'll, I can paraphrase it. Um, that's fine. It's from an author, Darby Bayham, and her uh, debut book, which comes out in January 2022, um, is called... Um, the shoe diaries. But in the quote, she's basically, she's a shoe addict and she's going out on a date with a guy for the first time and it's raining. And so he looks, you know, she's dressed, her outfit is put together. So he looks down and says, oh, you know, the the forecast calls for rain. She's wearing suede shoes. And she basically says, you know what? I'm throwing caution to the wind. So whether be damn, I'm wearing the shoes. And, And what I like about that particular quote from the book is that we sometimes are waiting for the perfect moment. We're waiting for all the stars to align, for for the sun to shine on our face at this exact moment. And I find that when you keep waiting, thinking that, oh, I'm not going to go to Paris until I have a relationship or until I'm with my husband, but you don't even have a boyfriend. So like we're waiting for these moments in our lives to become perfect before we wear the dress, before we wear the shoes, before we take a certain trip to a destination. And meanwhile, life is passing us by. Yeah. And and so for me, what I got what I got from that is basically like, you know, live your life in the moment because one, tomorrow isn't promised. But then two, who you get you get to have more than one good day. Yes. You know, you get to have more than one good date, whether that's one good first date or numerous dates with that same individual. But who's to say that you only get one opportunity for, for a happy moment or a good trip or a perfect outfit? Like that's not realistic. Um so what I got from that quote is, you know, her saying, listen, weather be damn, I'm wearing the shoes. Yeah. Yes, ladies, wear, wear the, the shoes. shoes. Wear, wear the, the shoes. You know, wear, wear the shoes, wear the dress, take the trip because you're waiting for a perfect storm that's not really going to happen. Like yeah. you're actually in it, but you're, you're, it doesn't look perfect to you. So you're like, oh, no, 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 I'll, I'll pass on this one. Mm. And, and the- here's an example. Mm-hmm. I worked with an author who wrote a memoir. Um, She was 32 years at the time. She'd been to... I don't know, over 20 countries. And her passion was she really wanted to go to Paris. She hadn't been to Paris yet. Um, and she was like, Dawn, I'm only going to go to Paris when I'm with my husband. That's the place I'm going to go to wow. with my husband. But she wasn't even in a relationship. Mm. And she wasn't even actively dating at the time. And then maybe about two and a half years ago, um, national news that Notre Dame in Paris caught on fire. I remember. Now, I, 
Now I've been to Paris and I have a picture of myself in front of Notre Dame. So now that picture that I have, the building no longer looks the same, you know, because they're trying to figure out how to, how to build it up if they even have the right materials. And I sent her a message and I said, see, Paris is burning. Take the trip. So you're not, you, you put off for years going to Paris because you want to go with your husband. But meanwhile, things are happening and, and, and yeah. you're missing it. Now that building is no longer the same as it was when I went. Mm-hmm. Go take the trip. You yeah. can always go back you when you have a husband. Yeah. So, so it's those type of things like, you know, yeah. pursuing opportunity in the moment and because be- mm-hmm. perfection really doesn't exist. No. And I always call that saving life for a special occasion. It's like, you cannot <laughs> save life for a special <laughs> occasion. Like, this is life right now. Every Listen, day is a special. That's occasion. a bumper sticker. I love that. I, I just might. Yeah. I think I just might. Yeah. Don't, don't save life for a special occasion. <laughs> totally agree with that. Oh, I love that so much. Um, so that'll be my favorite quote. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I would love to talk a bit about writing and publishing. Now, um, yeah. a bit later, we're going to talk a little bit about even making that decision about how to publish. But before that, I want to talk about audience building, because I don't care if you are traditional published, self-published, having a mm-hmm. blog, doesn't matter. I think that building that platform, building up that audience is so key to having people (laughs) to read your book when you put it out there into the world. And so I'd love to chat a little bit about that. So first of all, because I know people probably may come to you by the time they've already written the book. When do you think it's a good time to start building an audience? You think it's like when you start writing, do you think you wait until you're finishing the book? Like when do you think it's a Mm -hmm. good time to start that process? So here's the thing. So when it comes to nonfiction, if, if you decide you want to do a book on like relationships or diversity and inclusion, more than likely what inspires you to want to write a book about that is because you're already doing the work and, and people have come to you with questions or are engaging you in conversation around the topic that you're already talking about. You know, so whether you have a relationship blog or you're a diversity inclusion officer at, at a company, you're already having those conversations in rooms. There's just no, there's just no book. So a lot of times when you're doing nonfiction, the book idea comes from the work that you're actually already doing yes. five days a week. So you're actually building a platform because you're already doing the work. So anybody who's following your relationship blog, you, that's now an audience that when you have a relationship book, those would be some of the first people that would support you because they've been following you for years and they love the relationship advice you give on your blog. Same yeah. thing if you're uh, DNI, um, you can then go back to certain companies that you've been a guest speaker at and now you have a book in the back of the room that when you leave the podium, you can still leave your words and wisdom behind in, in the book. Mm-hmm. When you're doing uh, fiction, I still say it's the same thing. Once you decide what kind of story you want to write, you know, the genre, I'm writing a children's book, um, a novel, fantasy, whatever it is. At that point in time, you need to start finding out who are the people that would be interested in reading this book. So even while you're writing it, you need to figure out like, okay, what blogs are they on? You know, what, what writing groups are they a part of? You know, are they, are they on Goodreads? Are they on a platform called Wattpad? And the reason for that is even during your writing process, maybe you may get to the point where you need a beta reader. You can then go to some of those people that you know already like to read fantasy and ask them to become beta readers. Why? Because they read so much fantasy already. So yeah. they can give you an honest answer because they already immersed in that genre. So whether you're doing fiction or nonfiction, I always tell people you should be creating a platform either while you're writing the book 
or once you decide that you want to write a book and you know what you want to write it on. Mm-hmm. So even if a person is doing a memoir about parenting. So I was going to ask, yeah, if you're doing a memoir. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So even if a person is doing it. So now a memoir, you know, that's about your life. So it's like, okay, how do I build a platform um, around talking about something that happened to me? Mm-hmm. Once again, it's, everything is in the category. So I worked with the woman, Marianne Howland, and her book is called Warrior Rising. And it was basically about how she as a single mom got four men to serve as lifelong mentors to her son. Because by the age of 13, she realized that as a mother, she could not teach her son how to be a man. She needed men to do that. So she, oh. so she, went, so she went to other men. So with her in that case, telling her and her son's story, um, you know, because he was born premature and things of that nature, but also just serving on parenting platforms and, and mommy blogs, sharing the story of her and her son, because there are a lot of single mothers who have sons. And yep. at that puberty age, you're at the fork in the road where you're like, okay, I'm about to yoke this little one up by the collar because I don't know what to do. Because that's, that's, that's really the season where a man really needs to step in. Yeah. Um, and because but you may not know how to execute that. To do that. And because boys look to men for that example. So yes, you're, you're their yeah. mother and you're providing a great, you know, you think a great foundation, but they're looking at you yeah. and they're yeah. like, yeah, but I'm not going to be a woman. I'm going to be a man. What are men doing? So that's the time yeah. that, that intervention. I, I, listen, I, I got to buy that book for some, some people. Oh my God. Listen, it's, it. and she gives, she gives so many resources and they did a, um, a rite of passage ceremony and everything. So in her building her platform, one, she was already a professional woman and, and people knew her story about her son because he was mm-hmm. premature and things of that nature. Um, and that she was a single mom. So it was a really rough journey in those first few years of being single, being a professional woman, being the breadwinner, but having a son who has illnesses and handicaps. And so mm-hmm. people knew the evolution of her story. But again, you can share your personal story with people that you know al- along the way and then when it was time for her book to come out, she did parenting magazine. She did yes. a lot of mommy blogs and podcasts and things of that nature to basically share the advice. So even with her, you're not the only single woman with the son. So yes. what you need to do, her content was basically sharing her journey as a single mother and offering advice. And again, that was something she was able to do once she decided, I want, you know what? I want to share my story. And also part of her book idea came from sharing it with people and people saying, oh my God, Marianne, you really should write a book. Mm, yeah, yeah. So, you, you know, it wasn't necessarily one day I'm going to write a memoir about what me and my son went through. As people got to know her in business and nonprofit settings and just her living her life and the same thing with her son, they were so impressed by what she had done as a mother that people would say, you totally should write a book about this. Yeah. And then that, and then comes the memoir. Mm-hmm. And that's what grew But you about. definitely need to, every author whether it's poetry, children's book, whatever it is, you need to be working on building a platform while you're writing the book or even even before, simply because you can't get a literary agent if you don't have a platform. And mm. you can't get a traditional publishing deal without a platform. And if you say, okay, well, I don't want either one of those, I'm going to self-publish. You still don't have the audience that's going to buy the book because you haven't taken the time to build a platform. So when you don't build a platform, I'd I describe it as going into an auditorium, stepping onto the stage, getting into the mic and preparing to give a presentation, but there's nobody in the room. Wow. You, you, so so your, your PowerPoint is ready to go. Yeah. You look beautiful, but there's absolutely no one in the auditorium except for you because you never took the time to let people know 
that I, I have knowledge and I speak on this particular topic and I'm going to be speaking on this particular day. Hmm. So you just, you just showed up with your book and saying, okay, I'm ready to talk about it. Yeah. To who? Didn't, to invite, didn't invite anybody into the room. And you, like, I, I know you obviously said this, but I just want to reiterate this. You think this also yeah. applies to fiction writers yes. who even want to get a traditional publishing deal? Because yes. I, I know a few fiction writers who, you know, have been looking for agents for a while, but I don't, I think they were so focused on the writing process that like, so even, so with fiction, here's the thing. So if you're writing, you know, a book like Destination Wedding, mm-hmm. she, her platform, Jacqueline Holness, her platform in writing Destination Wedding was that she was already just writing. Mm. She has a so, very busy blog. She, she blogs. Right, so so she has a blog. She had, um, she had done nonfiction stuff, but she also like interviews celebrities and stuff like that. Yes. So even if you're writing fiction at that point is really just getting your name out there for people to say, oh yeah, I remember that article. Or for you to share and say, here's a sample of my writing, you know, here are three interviews that I did in 2018. So it's really writing and getting it out there for somebody to see. And like I said, most times people start with blogs, but there are platforms like Medium yes. and Thrive yeah. Global where right. you can set up platforms um, and your own page and mm-hmm. write there where there's already a community so more eyes are on it. But yeah. you really need to um, have just have your writing out there. Mm-hmm. It's not about have you published other novels. Publish other, Maybe you yeah. submit for short story competitions, um, mm-hmm. which is really helpful when you're writing a novel. Because if you win, the publisher is definitely going to put, oh, winner of the 2017 short story fiction prize, you know, mm-hmm. for whatever. They'll, they yes. will put that in your bio or put that somewhere in your press materials. They love that. And he, yeah. And in other platforms, I know there's one called Vocal. Um, mm-hmm. I have a client who writes for Vocal and she writes a lot of her fiction on Vocal. Um, okay. And the other thing, which I think is interesting, is there are a lot of podcasts out there. Like there's there are podcasts for romance, novel. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Podca- Listen, podcasts Listen. have become like a gem. I remember a friend of mine, she's been in the podcast maybe now like seven or eight years or so. Um, Mm -hmm. And and she was one of the first people that I knew that was avidly listening to them. But because there's a podcast on pretty much every subject under the sun, those podcasts, they are building an audience for people to tune into their show. So by you being a guest, just like what we're doing now, by you being a guest on that podcast, whoever is already following your series will now get to know about that particular um, author. So even doing podcasts before the book comes out and just sharing the journey or sharing the subject matter in which your book is going to be about, that's a way of building an audience. People just need to know that you exist and that you like to talk about certain topics that ultimately will be topics in your book. Yeah, I think those are some great ideas. And so hopefully listeners will get some ideas uh, for their own uh, projects. So thinking about publishing now, I know you're Mm -hmm. a literary agent, but you also work with self-published authors. So million dollar question, how do I decide if I'm going to do traditional or do self-published? I, I, you know, love to hear. I know. Yes. I feel like that is the number one question in the last 20 years, (laughs) the last 20 years. That's the number Mm -hmm. one question. Um, here's the thing. It's about your ultimate goal. Like why, why are you, are you writing this book to begin with? Are you uh, a PhD candidate and you're writing this book, um, because you need this on your CV and, and career wise, it's going to be a bump, a bump for you. And you want to do speaking engagements. 
are you writing this simply because you've always had the dream of, of writing and you just want to see the book out? Are you writing a book about your grandmother because you want to have it at her 100th birthday at the bar family barbecue? So you first got to figure out, why am I even doing this? Because this is not something that any of us has to do. So if you're writing a book, it's something you want to do, not something you have to do. So once you decide on why you're writing it, ultimately that is going to determine, okay, how soon do you need the book available? And then what resources do you have? Because if timing is, is of the essence for you, then self-publishing is gonna be the best option because traditionally published books take about 18 months yeah. minimum yeah. on average. You know, 18 months to anywhere between two and a half years depending on the type of book. So if you want something coming out summer of 2022, self-publishing is the only option on the table as of December, 2021. Right now, yeah. Okay. Yeah, there is no other way to get the book out that fast. Um, so one, again, ultimately decide why am I even doing this? You know, do I want to publish a book because I'm a, a good writer? I have bylines and Cosmo and L and you know Medium.com, and now I basically want to get my work out there and I want to get a big deal and people know me and I want a hundred thousand dollar deal so I can buy a house. There's mm. no right or wrong. There's no right or wrong answer. And I, so I was asked authors. Well, first tell me why you even want to write the book, because ultimately that's going to determine which road you take. Yeah. But money and time are two factors that if you decide to self-publish, having the time and then having the money and the resources to actually publish properly. Yeah. Because ultimately, if you choose traditional, you'll get a literary agent, but that can take months. That could take a year sometimes. And mm -hmm. then that agent then has to turn around and start pitching the project. And that's going to be some more months. And then you get the deadline and contract to actually work on the book. That's another year. So if you go traditional, it's because you have two right. to three years to, to, to wait it out. <laughs> yeah. And I, yeah. and I suppose it's important to note that it costs money if you're going to self-publish. I mean, yes. there are people out there talking about, you can just throw it up on Amazon and two weeks or whatever. No, because there's, like, there's, two, you know, there's two billion items on Amazon. How do I know yes. that your book is on there? Exactly. And how, so A, how do you know it's on there? B, quality right yeah. um yes to me you want a book that's good quality get it edited i have um i belong to a, a strong cover design covers everything like that um i belong to a group of editors and i'm actually i'm also going to be chatting to a couple of editors as well because i think mm. i've met a lot of writers who are almost afraid of the editing process who think that they're going to lose their voice and they're going to lose the mm -hmm. like they're themselves in the process. But it's like you can't edit your own book because you're too right. close to it. So the key is picking the right editor, but then there's yes. going to be a cost for that, right? Yeah. So Let me, I want to share, um, you know, for those who are like, oh, you know, I don't, I don't know if I want somebody to edit my work. I, I have a great story. So Sadiqa Johnson, the author of Loving to Carry On Bag, um, like I said, she self-published her for that first book. She went through nine rounds of edits with her editor, nine rounds. Again, this is somebody who had already worked at Penguin Random House. So she wasn't, she worked with B.B. Moore Campbell, T.D. Jakes. So she wasn't new to the publishing experience. She just was a, a publicist who now was self-publishing a book. But she went through nine rounds of edits. And when I worked with her, I always had her share that story. I said, because think about it. If you go through nine rounds, by the time you get to three or four, you're probably thinking, okay, this is great. I'm done. Mm, and okay. then your editor comes back to you with round five. Another and you're round. like, okay. You get through round five. Then she comes back. Okay, so we need six. By six, you're kind of looking at her like, all right mm. now. Now you're starting to get on my nerves. You go through six. She comes back with seven. By the time she comes back after seven, 
you're definitely probably cursing her out. And you yeah. still go to eight. And then ultimately nine is where she says, okay, now this book is ready for market. Nine rounds. But you know what? Sadiqa Wanda went in three awards for that book. Her writing improved, her writing to me was already great, but her writing improved so much from those that when she started working on her second book, that same editor, when she finished editing that book, she said, wow, your writing has improved. This book is so great. Let me share this with a friend of mine who's a literary agent. I mm-hmm. think we can get you a deal. And Sadiqa was already determined and prepared to self-publish book number two, but she never had to. That book number two was picked up by a literary agent. It went in an auction, which means that more than one publishing company wanted the book. And the book came out in in hardcover and the book was called um, Second House from the Corner. And she was published with Thomas Dunn, which is a division of St. Martin's. And then her next book came out after that. um, And then there was me. And then her most recent book that came out in 2021, her first historical fiction, The Yellow Wife. So she's had three books, two in auction, simply because she went through nine rounds of edits and became a better writer after self-publishing book number one. So she has the, she's the ultimate success story I share when it comes to embrace the editing process. Your editor is going to make you a better writer. Yeah. And, and now her life has completely changed. Her, her historical fiction was voted by Oprah Daly as one of the best historical fiction books of 2021. Which is she, could, she couldn't have dreamed that when she was going through round five. Um, round five and round six. And I think that's the thing, like, it's not, it's not just about being able to write. I think editing really does improve your writing. It improves your, it your you know, how you phrase things, how you... How you articulate yourself. You articulate like, you know... Things. The order in which you put things, it could be a developmental edit, it could just be copy yes. edit. I think you have to, you need that outside lens of a professional who knows what yeah. they're doing to really. And it's developmental editing is what every author needs. Because yes. whatever your first draft is, whatever your second and third draft is that you do on your own, by the time you send it to an editor, um, they're looking at it and their whole job as a developmental editor is how can I make this a better reading experience? Mm-hmm. Yes. Not for you, but for for the people that you wrote this book for. So whatever their criticism is, they're a fresh set of eyes. And they're like, oh, you know what? This is good, but you should have mentioned this earlier on in the book. I feel like if we would have known this, we would have been rooting for this character more had we known this earlier in the story. You know, by by this point, people, you know, aren't loving your protagonist, but it's simply because they didn't have empathy because they didn't know this fact. So you should probably move that up to the beginning. So that's what developmental editors do is to help make your work a stronger version of itself for a better reading experience. Yeah. And the other thing I will say as just from the perspective of, an author is that sometimes yeah. you don't know what like you think you know what the book is about when you start writing and by the time you get to the end the book is about something entirely different and to me <laughs> I know listen I know it sounds crazy right but it's so true and I yes. think that is sometimes you forget you kind of you've already you've kind of gone through that process but the reader is not going through that process with you the reader is exactly fresh and so the editor is there to say okay you started the book talking about one thing and you ended the book talking about something else. How can we bring this together? How can we make this coherent? How can we make mm-hmm. this cohesive? And you you don't know that because you've already traveled it's in your mind. In your mind, exactly. So, so so even when it comes down to like the last stage of 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 editing, which is like you know, proofreading and just having mm-hmm. people proofread. 
um, even with that process, because you've been with the book from day one, you know that this author's, um, that the protagonist's name is spelled a certain way, or you know that this town is spelled a certain way. So you begin to read it and see it correctly because it's in your mind. You know what it's supposed yes. to be, even, even if it's not that on the page. There's so you need there. proofreaders because they're fresh eyes and they're like, okay, well, did you mean to spell her name with a Z instead of an S? In your mind, you know how it's spelled, so you see it spelled correctly. And only a proofreader is able to bring that to your attention. Like, okay, is this a typo or is, or is this intentional? And you're like, oh, no, that, that was a mistake. But yeah. you didn't see it as a mistake. You, you and I can sit at the same desk and go page by page and, and circle all the errors and we won't have the same thing right. circled. You're not gonna circle what I circle simply because you're reading it correctly because in your mind, you know what it's supposed to be. But on the paper, I'm seeing what it is and it's not what you thought it was. And that's what proofreading is about. Yeah. Making sure that whatever's in the author's mind is actually on the page because you will read things correctly simply because you know what it's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And that's why every, does every book in print has a typo in it. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Every book in print. I remember when I became a literary agent, someone told me that. They was like, no, Dawn. Like, because it's, you know, we're humans. And people can go over a book a thousand times. It's, it's the human eye and the human brain. And, and there's a disconnect at a certain point. So every book has a typo in it. But again, the the as few typos as possible, it just makes for a better reading experience. So even having hiring someone to proofread or having a team of friends or beta readers proofread really is your last line of defense to say, okay, the book is written well. We had developmental editing. We went line by line and made sure, line editing, made sure yeah. that every, yeah. every sentence in the book makes sense. Because again, if you're writing a paragraph, you know the gist of the message in that paragraph. Mm -hmm. But now if you read each line, does each sentence in that paragraph Absolutely. actually make sense? Mm -hmm. You know, because the paragraph might make sense. Like, oh yeah, okay, wow, that was their first date. But if you go line by line, what does the third sentence really mean? What are those yeah. words that you put together? Like, and, and I will tell what you is, what does that third sentence mean and that's line editing and that's the line third editing. sentence in your paragraph doesn't make sense doesn't what, make what are you trying sense. to say here mm -hmm. and one yeah. thing I will say I, I discovered that even I have I've been blogging for a few years now and yeah. when I started doing audio recordings of my blogs all of a sudden I realized I'd written something and I'm like this doesn't make really sense <laughs> and I that was me picking it up from yeah. my own writing so imagine you're like wait a minute you're like pause what, what did I write here? I don't, and, and, you're, and you're confused because you don't even know how to ad lib. You're like, nope. okay, what, what was I trying to say? I had to pause. I had to delete it. I had to rewrite it. And that is my own work. So I think yeah. how much more is an outside, Absolutely. outside lens going to pick up? So I think those are really, really important things for someone Absolutely. to consider. But then, then, you know, going back to that decision of like traditional versus um, self-publishing, there's cost to that. You, if you want yeah, a good yeah. editor who's going to do a good job with developmental editing, you want a good proof, there's a cost to that. And you have to yeah. be willing to, to foot that sort of cost. Um, I'm curious, I, I'd love to know a bit more about getting an mm -hmm. agent. I, um, it, it always sounds like this mysterious thing <laughs> that you were talking I'm, about. So I'm just people curious. think it's like the Wizard of Oz. It's, 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 it's like not. the Wizard of Oz. I'm going to get an agent. Like, I'm going to go to follow the yellow brick road. Like, what? <laughs> yeah. tell, me, tell me about that. So, okay. So, if a person is looking for an agent, there's a platform called Publishers Marketplace. 
Mm-hmm. So publishersmarketplace.com. Um, there's also a platform um, and a magazine called Poets and Writers. So I think Poets and Writers is pw.org is their website. Both of those. And then if you're on Twitter and you put in hashtag MSWL, which stands for Manuscript Wishlist, um, those are places where you can find um, editors and agents, um, more specifically agents um, in all three of those platforms. So finding an agent, ultimately the job of an agent, if I represent you, is I already believe in your work. And then my job is to pivot and find you and I, a publishing partner that will publish your book. However, Mm -hmm. As an agent, I only am financially compensated after we get you a deal. I get 15% of whatever advance I get for you. Right. Therefore, I might be working with you for weeks, months, years before I get one penny. So therefore, I always tell people, make sure that you understand that your agent is advocating for you and they're not being compensated. So they believe in you and they're going to make calls and emails and meetings for free because they believe that they can sell your work. So it's always important Mm. for people to recognize that your agent is your number one advocate that can actually do something for you. Because maybe your mother, your spouse, or your best friend are advocating for you, but they can't help you. So they can't help you. So your agent is your advocate that actually is industry connected to help you get a deal. But again, if I'm only getting paid when I sell a book, I need to know that your writing is strong If you're writing fiction, um, if you're doing nonfiction, that your writing and your platform and your idea are strong and well Mm -hmm. executed because I have to pitch that and I can't pitch something that I know my colleagues won't want to buy. Yeah. And so I guess that's why you might find it harder to get an agent if. Yes. The quality of what you're pitching, the quality of it, uh, the marketability of it. And so let's say if your writing is an A plus, let's say your um, idea your execution. So whether you're doing a nonfiction book or a novel, and either way, they're executed great. Your book proposal is great for a nonfiction. Your manuscript is well-written. This is an amazing historical fiction novel. And now the third category is, well, what's her platform look like? Right. If Sophia has a platform and Dawn doesn't, and we both have A's in those first two categories, um, Sophia gets the agent. Yeah. Yeah. And that's- If you have- yeah, you, you have yeah. to have, so that, so the plat going back to the platform, that becomes a tiebreaker. So if you and I both have great writing, we both have great ideas. The person with the, pl- the best platform is ultimately the most promising to an agent because they believe, wow, she has great writing, good idea, great execution, mm-hmm. and she has a platform. This is something that publishers want. I, yeah. I can definitely sell that. And she yeah. might be able to sell mines as well if my platform is smaller, but it definitely is going to be a conversation to be had. And mm-hmm. maybe the agent, he or she may say, I'm going to continue to go forward because I personally really like it. But any rejections that come, more than likely the lack of platform is definitely going to be reason. a reason why somebody's going to pass. Hmm. Okay, that's good to know. I think those are some really great, great points for people to bear in mind if they're looking for an agent. Um, And here's the thing. So even when you submit your uh, fiction manuscript, when we talk about that editing, so we talk about the editing as far as like, if you want to self-publish, but that still applies if you want an agent. An agent will still go through and say, oh, you know what, let's let's clean this up a little bit. But the version that you send the agent has to be as strong as if you were going to self-publish because that's the the sample of your writing. Mm. So you still have to go through that editing process with someone before you submit that manuscript to an agent because that's your audition so what they read is gonna if, if you don't say oh i'm not gonna pay for an editor editor i'm gonna wait till i get a book deal and let them do that and your writing is at like a c plus 
that's the reason the agency, I can't represent you because they see you as a C plus. But if you work with an editor and you get it up to an A minus, they're like, oh my God, this is great. Because ultimately whatever editor decides to acquire your work, the publisher is gonna do editing anyway. So even if you think it's an A plus by the time I've paid for an editor, I've got an agent, they made mm-hmm. a couple of tweaks and then I sent it to, a, even when you get a deal, the editor is still going to, there's still more tweaking to be done. Always, yeah. yeah. Nine rounds so, <laughs> later. But, but but again, I think it's important to mention that even if a person is looking for an agent, that's all the more reason why you def, you won't not, you will not get an agent if your book isn't cleaned up and edited properly because that's, yeah. that's the sample of your writing. So if it's yeah. a C plus and you don't want to make it an A before you get to them, then most agents are going to decline on a C plus idea mm. and the execution. Yeah. Okay. That's that's a really good point. Yeah, I so, think that's so really which important. means that you can't avoid an editor at all. Doesn't all. matter which so way you, you want to go. You might not need to hire a cover designer or a publicist, but no matter what direction you want to go, an editor is non-negotiable in publishing. Mm-hmm. Okay, right. Yeah, I love yeah. that so much. That's thanks for really stressing that. Um, yeah, that's that's the soundbite. That's the soundbite right that's there. That's the soundbite. Oh, trust me, an editor is a non-negotiable. Not negotiable. I I think that's so important. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious. I know over the years you have represented a lot of uh, black writers, writers of color, yeah. and you know, just writers in all different types of genres. What do you think? Is it about the industry at large? It's about the industry at large, right? So I'm curious, you know, I know that the publishing industry is still, especially in, you know, English speaking countries, let's talk about the yeah. US, UK, whatever, is still a very white space. White yes, it is. Space. it's not very diverse Uh it's not very you know it's very monochromatic basically it's a white industry for the most part and that's part of the reason I actually started this series because I felt like I wanted to really put more black writers out there but I'd love to know what you see uh, in terms of the publishing industry at large and that landscape for black writers both the good things and the maybe the challenges that they may face in this industry So over the last few years, I mean, definitely over the last like two since the pandemic and everything that happened with uh, George Floyd and the national uprisings, um, more uh, authors of color definitely have been getting, um, you know, more more book deals, which which is which is great, um, you know, and the the money has gotten a little better. Um, But one of the things that I'm working on now is to create um, a speakers bureau as part of the division of the literary lobbyists to get um, black writers to speak at HBCUs um, Mm. to talk about whatever their industry is in. But it started with the idea of wanting some of my authors to speak to students in journalism, English and things of that nature about careers that they can have in publishing. The lack of diversity really starts from the assistant or intern level. If you cannot afford publishing capital is in New York. And then a lot of uh, companies have offices in LA and maybe like Tennessee. Mm -hmm. If you can't afford to intern for free during the school year or intern for minimum wage um, during the summer and live in New York, then you you don't get the opportunity to get the internship. And if you don't get the opportunity to get the internship, then you're not Mm -hmm. in-house learning the culture, being able to sit in on meetings, meet authors, you don't get that opportunity. You're just somebody with a resume who has a desire to be an assistant editor one day. But if you don't do the internship, oftentimes the intern is the one that gets promoted to assistant editor. Yeah. So the lack of diversity starts literally at that first that first foot in the door. 
Um, so for me, I think that it's important for Black authors, Black publishing professionals to go to HBCUs and even PWIs and speak to Black students about the career opportunities. So if you're a graphic designer, there's opportunities for you to do cover design. You know, if, if you're communications, obviously you could be an in-house publicist, social media, marketing. But if yeah. Black students don't know about these roles and don't hear from Black people in these roles, then the next wave of new hires are not going to look like us. So ultimately, yeah. for me, I believe that it really starts with that, that junior level. And they just need to know that there's opportunities in book publishing. And they need to hear about those opportunities from, from people of color. Yeah, who, who are yeah. in those roles? Who are already uh, in those roles? Yeah, so it de it definitely starts there on a basic level. Like, no one is going to invite you to dance at the party if you don't actually come to the party. Mm -hmm. So first, you just have to be, you have to get yourself there. Um, and, and and I believe that that starts from going from education and 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 a level of mentorship. And then once you get in, it's really about establishing relationships and connections. I tell authors now, even if they're self published, you should be making relationships with other authors in your genre. On Twitter, they started um, a hashtag publishing paid me. And that basically was all about authors sharing what their advances were okay. and, and how, how underpaid they were and basically sharing that. So oftentimes, you know, black people don't wanna say how much money they're getting, but no. because somebody decided to get that hashtag going and it became a national conversation, articles were written about it. Now people are able to say, this author only got this but her white contemporary got this. So now you as an author are more empowered. Your agent is more empowered to get you more money. Um, mm -hmm. And ultimately we want to be, we want to be paid well for, for the work that we yeah. do. So again, I think that anybody who's a person of color in publishing, yes, we want our white allies to, to help and, and, and find and hire the best candidates for the, um, for the job. But I also believe that any person who is a person of color in publishing, whatever their position is, so whether you're an author, publicist, editor, graphic designer, mm -hmm. you have to talk about what you do and invite other people to, to join into that industry. And again, I believe it, it starts with students, um, you know, and that's why I'm starting the HBCU uh, Speakers Bureau, simply because if the next generation doesn't know, we'll, we'll forever be at that 1%. Yeah. Like yeah. if you're a graphic designer or an illustrator, you know, has anybody ever talked to you about getting into children's books? There's a lot of money to be made for illustrating children's books, you know, and then that can become merchandising. Like, you know, when people love the illustration of children's books, then we see dolls and things. Think about Dora the Explorer and the franchise that came from that. Whoever illustrated that is being paid for all of the things that come from that. That could have been a graphic designer at Jackson State. You know yeah. what I mean? But again, if, if somebody in publishing who does that has not had a conversation with those students, then maybe they're doing it for another company, but ultimately they never even considered working in book publishing doing children's book illustration because no one has ever told them that it even exists. Yeah, and I think sometimes a part of the issue when you have an industry that is so white and so monochromatic is that sometimes you, you don't even see yourself there. You don't even think to yourself, like you may, you may think rightly or wrongly so that, there's no opportunity there for you. And so then yeah. that, that cycle just keeps <laughs> perpetuating. Right. You, you, you're thinking, oh, black people don't do this. Yes, they do. Exactly. We, we, do every, we do everything that everybody else does if that's what we want to do. Yeah. But again, if you don't see somebody doing it, mm -hmm. you think that 
it's, it's not open to us to do. And that's why I'm like, you know what, you guys, we have to, whatever you're doing, like I have a client um, who is doing some ghostwriting now. And she was like, oh, you know, I didn't even realize that ghostwriting was a thing that I could actually get paid writing other people's work. Because her thing is, you know, she does her own writing. And I was like, yeah, there's, there's checks to be made. Do you think any, what celebrity do you think wrote their own memoir? When, when when does Viola Davis have time to do that? When does Queen La when does Will Smith have time to sit down and yeah, you might journal some things, but come on. Yeah. When did Gabrielle yeah. have time to sit down and write two books in the last three years? So so again, that's a that's a check waiting for somebody that is graduating Howard right now, who probably has a blog, they write for the school paper, they're an excellent writer, they have a couple of relationships, they don't even know that they could make hundreds of thousands of dollars writing celebrity books. Yeah. They, they don't know that they don't know because no one has actually come to them and said, oh, you know, well, if you're not interested in authoring your own book, there is lucrative money to be made by being a ghostwriter. Yeah. For high level executives, for, for yeah. celebrities, for athletes, for politicians, those people don't write their books. They don't have the time to. Even if they're good writers, they just don't have the bandwidth to do so. No, and then there even there's even opportunities within other fields. Like I know, you know, medical doctors are writing a oh book. Oh my god, yes, a lot of my clients that, write like know, medical journals, medical and journals, all those things. There's so many opportunities out there. I'd love to know what's your proudest moment been throughout these last nineteen and a half. I think you said year. Oh my gosh, don't even make me choose one. Let's see. Um, let's have let's have one or two. If you don't have to choose one, but I no I no, no. okay yes proud um moment. proudest moment. Okay, let me let me think. Okay, well you know what I would have to say. Um, I've worked with a gentleman named Tracy Syfax, and he has a memoir, From the Block to the Boardroom. So Tracy, um, as a teenager and then in his early 20s, he had been incarcerated. So, so he did two, two stints. And when he came out, he was like, you know what? This time I'm not, I'm not going back. So he, became, he wrote his story about what he did to keep himself out of prison and how he became an entrepreneur, gave tips in the back on interviews and where, where gentlemen can find suits and things of that nature. And he really became an advocate for ending recidivism. And uh, he spoke in front of Congress uh, to talk about ban the box, which is basically when you fill out a job application and ask, have you ever been convicted yes. of a felony? Yeah. So if yeah, you're I've honest, if you right. So when you're honest and you check that box, your application goes in the garbage. It yes. doesn't matter what what's on there after that. Once that box is checked, they don't even look at it. So he spoke in front of Congress with um Congressman Cory Booker um, to get that removed from job applications uh, nationwide. Um, he also then was honored at the White House as a, a champion of change um, because they actually every year do a theme. And that particular year, it was people who advocated for um, to end recidivism and to help people get second chances in life. So when nice. I look at Tracy, he self-published his memoir and I was his publicist for that. But I look at all that he's done taking his lived experiences self-publishing and putting them in the memoir and then doing speaking engagements and connecting with communities. Ultimately, him writing a memoir and self-publishing, something he did for himself, winds up positively impacting an entire community and helping mm -hmm. friends and families and nonprofits basically say, we have to end this, um, this prison pipeline. So I, I, when I look at all the authors that I've worked with, Tracy is somebody that really comes to mind because what he started out doing for himself has ultimately changed and saved lives. And he was a self-published author.
you know, and, and now he's happily married. He met his wife during the pandemic. Um, they have an amazing story that's been featured in the New York Times and, oh. and O Magazine. And now she is writing her memoir about ultimately how, how, how they came to be and the journey that she's been on as a cancer survivor and then finding love online during a pandemic wow. over, the age, over the age of 50. So when I look at him and just knowing that, you know, sometime in 2022, his wife is going to have a memoir out. So now looking mm-hmm. at where he started, all that he's done, and then meeting this woman and now helping her get her book out there into the world. He's definitely someone that pays it forward. You know, and, and so, yes, Tracy Syfax, the book is called From the Block to the Boardroom. But I would definitely say he is definitely one of my strongest relationships to date. Um, but I'm so godly proud of him. So yeah. godly proud of him. Yeah. Oh, that's that's an amazing story. I'm, I think I'm going to drop all these books that you're recommending. I'm just going to yeah put them on the website because I love these so, so much. Um, I'd love to know what advice would you give a writer who is thinking about either writing a book or who's written one and who wants to publish, like what maybe one or two pieces of advice that you would give them from all of your experience working with um, authors over the years? Yeah. Um, so two sound pieces of advice that again, will apply whether you're independently published or you go the traditional route. Um, one is you really got to just do your research. So even if you want to go traditional, you still need to research agents. You need to research uh, the type of deals that people are getting in your genre. Um, you know, what type of books you need to know the best sellers in your category so that you can compare and, and figure out where you fit in the industry. So every author needs to, um, research. If you're self-publishing, you need to research and make sure that you understand the proper platforms to get your work out there. You know, is Kindle and Amazon and Ingram Sparks, what changes they make? So doing research will save you a lot of money when you're self-published. And then the next bit of advice I would give is um, don't allow yourself to emotionally connect to criticism. Criticism, whether somebody gives you a one-star review or a five-star review. That one-star review is valuable because you need to know what people think. Now, you may not agree. I had an author who uh, received a one-star, no, two-star review when most people were giving her five stars. And for months, she harped on that two-star review. She just couldn't stop talking about it. And I was like, you didn't write this book for that person. Like, don't obsess over this two-star review when you have hundreds of four and five-star reviews. But again, I think writers, you know, like Erica Badu says, we're an artist. We're sensitive about our stuff. Of so course. Don't let the criticism, because you're going to get reviews, you're going to get people to post in your comments. If you know that you're putting your work out there, first of all, putting your art out there is a, a form of vulnerability because you are yeah. opening yourself yeah. up to criticism. Um, but, but none of us are right about everything all the time. So you take what you think might be applicable to you and then the rest you, you just toss out, just like they tell celebrities, don't, don't read the comments you know, on, on these blogs and things of that nature because it'll take you down a rabbit hole and make you feel horrible about yourself. Yeah. So as a writer, I would say, take, emotionally separate yourself from criticism. And ultimately, if you wanna be a best writer, a strong writer, if you want to be a best-selling author, then every form of criticism, even the bad stuff, there's there might be a sprinkle of validity to it. And if it's just straight trash, then throw it out as such. But don't yeah. let criticism, you know, don't let that seep into your brain and 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 create imposter syndrome. Yeah, so and derail research, you. Yeah, yeah. So I think that researching and and accepting criticism just for what it is, an opportunity to improve. Hmm. 
Yeah, and, I and love that. So, so those, I feel like those, because those are things uh, connected to a mindset. Mm -hmm. All the rest of the stuff, there's always going to be someone like myself teaching you and there's courses and things that you can take. But those two things, those are mindsets. You have to have the mindset to, to research and say, I'm really doing this. I really need to learn as much as I can before I spend money and put myself out there. And then just being able to separate from the feedback that you get emotionally. Yeah. You know, and yeah. if you can, and if you can do that, I think everything else along the journey, you know, will be eventful. Um, and a great learning experience. And most oftentimes than not, it'll be a pleasant one. Good. That's, I love that. That's a really great um, piece of advice. Um, before we wrap up, tell us about publishing your pajamas. I love that. I love that. Oh, name. okay. And I've been curious about it ever since I saw it. So tell so us here's about the thing. your pajamas. Publishing in your pajamas is something that I created because I had a heart for aspiring writers of color specifically. As an agent, I would go to conferences, people would pay to have me come and speak and teach and things of that nature. I would always get on social media, people in my DMs asking questions and advice and can they talk to me and can they email me? But I wasn't seeing black people showing up at these conferences and I'm like, okay, mm -hmm. is it that you don't have the time off from work? Is it that you don't have the money? Is it that you don't have childcare? What's preventing people of color from showing up at these conferences where mm -hmm. I'm being hired to come in and speak and teach? So I saw that there was a disconnect and I said, okay, you know what? If you don't have to worry about childcare, if you can stay at home, not have to worry about travel and hotel and still learn. So I said, you know what? How about we just stay in our pajamas and, and you can stay home and learn. So I basically started the conference in, um, what was it? I think 2018, 2019. And I basically did an all day conference where I had different people come and speak and teach. And then I had two authors come and talk about their book. I interviewed them, but it was basically a one day conference where everyone stayed home in the comforts of their home. Because mm -hmm. if you don't have the resources to come to the information, listen, stay, in your, stay in your PJs, get yourself some coffee, eat your pancakes and, and, and just get a notebook and be ready. Mm -hmm. And so that's something. And I started this pre-pandemic. So then I obviously we go into the pandemic. Everybody was in their pajamas during the pandemic. Listen, I started this two years before the pandemic, two years before the pandemic. So again, for me, it was seeing Black people want to publish books. They want this information because they're asking me questions on social media all the time, but they're not showing up at these conferences. So whatever resources is preventing them from appearing at these conferences, let's remove that and everybody stay home. The speakers stay home, I stay home, and the attendees stay home and we can learn together. So I'm going into my third year of doing it and now I do it basically as a series of courses and workshops. But again, we stay at home in the comforts of our home Mm -hmm. And you can learn about publishing in your pajamas. In your pajamas. And I, I love that because I'm in Barbados. And what would quite often happen is that I just can't, like, to right, you can't come to the all the exactly. to the States just for, you know, that's not always possible. Sometimes it is, but sometimes it isn't too. And yeah. well, I love the pandemic for that. I feel like I made so many, you know, even our... Yes. International relationships exactly. abound during the pandemic, yes. Yeah, and even um, Javasia, who I mentioned earlier, her yeah. community, I was able to join that when she moved it online. Uh, nice! Birmingham. Nice. Right, exactly. So to me, having that online platform is just, personally, I think yeah. it's awesome. Um, what are the dates? 
Oh, so with the, we have a workshop coming up um, in January 13th and then I think January 20th. So there's one on children's book publishing and then there's one on memoir writing. They will be available uh, for replays and the website is publishinginyourpajamas.com. Um, and then throughout the year, I'm, I'm going to uh, continue to like add more, but we're starting the month of January off with mm -hmm. um, children's book publishing and marketing and then um, how to write a memoir. I love that. So what, yeah, what yeah. people need to do is get on your mailing list then so that they... Absolutely. The right. go, they can go to the literarylobbyist.com. Um, all of that information is up there in, in the blog section. Mm -hmm. um, and then they can register for the, for the courses um, on publishinginyourpajamas.com. But please get on the mailing list, thelibrarylobbyist.com. Um, right now, if you go to the website and my blogs, if you're a self-published author, I have a list of awards that accept self-published authors. I also have... Um, a database of media outlets that that accept self-published authors. So I'm always giving digital freebies and then ultimately those digital freebies become blogs. So that right now you could definitely get the list of awards. And this year I've had three authors win four awards. I um, love it. That's yeah. so good. Yeah. So every year for the last nine, 10 years, I've had uh, indie as well as traditionally published authors win awards. So, yeah. so a lot of those awards are on that blog post. So I definitely encourage people to check that out. Oh, I love that. So go over to literarylobbyist.com. Check it all out. Um, how can we follow you on social media? Oh, uh, the literary, yep. The literary lobbyist on Instagram, um, on LinkedIn. I'm going to be very active on LinkedIn in 2022. Um, Dawn M. Hardy. You can find me on, on LinkedIn as, as Dawn M. Hardy. I, I, no, my whole name, Dawn Michelle Hardy. Um, and then even on Facebook is uh, facebook.com slash the literary lobbyist. Okay. So if you put in the literary lobbyist on social media platforms, even on Twitter, it'll, it'll bring you to me. Mm -hmm. Okay. I love that. Um, thank you so, 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 so much for dropping awesome. all knowledge, wisdom. This has been so, I think it's going to be such a great resource for. Oh, thank you. And um, if anybody uh, wants uh, a publicist, an agent, all the things that Dawn does, go uh, find her on social media, find her on her website follow her not in the stock read kind of way but like oh know. no but and and, here, and here's the thing so i also offer consultations so when people go to the literary lobbyist website they can go in the drop down menu and actually schedule a consultation um you know and i talk to people about specifically about okay what it is that you want to do what challenges you're facing and then i actually give them real life resources so when the consultation is over you know exactly what to do the next time you get next on your step. computer yeah oh, love that well, again, thank you so much, Dawn. Um, oh, you're I, I, welcome. All of my guests that I've had so far, I'm like, I want to have them back. I want to have them back. So if I'm going to have you back, hopefully- Listen, you can, you can have me back. We could do a live in Barbados from the beach. And I, I want some I want some, um, some corn fritters and, and I want some rum punch. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. some mm -hmm. What is it? Comforters? That's what I want. I want some comforters. Comforters and, I want some and rum punch. punch. Okay. Yes, we are going to yes. organize something as soon as we get off the air. Maybe not as soon as yes. we get off the air, but you yes. like to come to Barbados. Next time we got to do this live for sure, for sure, for sure. I would oh love my that. goodness, girl. So, yes. Thank right. you so much, Sophia. Thank you so much, Dawn. Appreciate you. And uh, everyone, happy reading. Thank you for joining us today. You can find out more about our guests in the notes below. And don't forget to hit subscribe to subscribe to our channel so that you don't miss new episodes when they drop. And if this has inspired you to get your own writing project into the world, Click on my website below and learn how you can work with me as a writing coach or an editor. Until next time, I send you big love from a small island.